You are now tuned in to Poppy Chulo Radio, your web portal for the best in pop culture news and interviews. Because the first step to a new beginning is imagining that one is even possible. The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to Storybrooke. Because the first step to a new beginning is imagining that one is even possible. Welcome to Storybrooke Weekly Mirror in Hyperion Heights, the unofficial Once Upon a Time podcast, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series, Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, April 23rd, 2018, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we're going to recap, review, and dissect the ABC series, Once Upon a Time. Please welcome my co-hosts, Katie. Hi, guys. Jenna Pace. Hey, everybody. Vinny Hatcher. Hey, y'all. And Heather Bishop. What's up, guys? Let's jump into our recap of Season 7, Episode 18, which was titled The Guardian and aired April 20th, 2018. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Following Nick's death, Weaver discovers the Dark One dagger has been taken and sets out to get it back, even if it means betraying Ronnie's trust. Meanwhile, Margot takes Tilly on a date, but their time together takes an unexpected twist. In a flashback, Rumpel, desperate to be reunited with Belle, pays Alice a visit. Let's check in on the ratings for Season 7, Episode 18. The episode was viewed by 2.16 million total viewers and a .4 in the demo rating. It was flat. So, what was everyone's initial reaction to this episode the guardian let's start off with uh, maybe a ray of sunshine katie oh my goodness well i'm gonna be a disappointment to you <laughs> i <laughs> every time you do that i i just let you down i feel like but you always let I... me down so i'm used to it <laughs> oh. <laughs> boom 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 um... boom boom oh. <laughs> This episode was okay. Um, it wasn't my favorite, to be honest. I don't know why, because there were some really nice moments that I did enjoy, but I kind of felt a little bored with the episode, to be honest. I don't know, it just didn't really seem to capture me that well. So unfortunately, I'm going to start this off, us all off with me saying that it was kind of boring in my opinion, but... Both sides, flashbacks and present? Um, I feel like I enjoyed the flashbacks a little bit more than the present, but 
it, I don't know. The episode just fell kind of flat for me for some reason. I don't really know why, but... Okay. Like the ratings. It just was my favorite. Flat. What'd you say? Like the ratings. Flat. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I just keep being consistent here. <laughs> there you go. Uh, okay. Let's see who might be the ray of sunshine. Vinny? What's your initial reaction? Oh, why would you choose me as a ray of sunshine? I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, I <laughs> this this episode was like just like really like it just seemed I I I don't know I like this episode was I, I agree with Katie it was kind of meh with a little twist of meh so mm-hmm. yeah. It, it, it felt kind of embarrassing after coming off of such a strong and phenomenally collective episode last week, and there was a lot. There was a lot that I really didn't care for in this episode. Jenna Pace. What yeah, about I don't you? know what those two. I don't know what those two are on. I loved this episode. <laughs> Jenna Pace for the win. Really engaging, very in character, making really good decisions. I loved, loved, loved the subplot so, so much. And the and the main plots, both in the Enchanted Forest and in Hyperion Heights, were really engaging. I thought it had a lot of great moments and closures on some cool arcs and openings to other arcs. So, yeah, I liked it. Well, damn. Jenna Pace coming out of nowhere. She's the ray of sunshine. She's the ray of sunshine. I was my hand when you were picking your oh. hand up, like, why would you do that? <laughs> I apologize, Jenna Pace. Jenna Pace, you can be unpredictable sometimes, so I wasn't sure. I knew Vinny really wasn't going to be the ray of sunshine, but I just wanted to say it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> we have another wild card in Heather Bishop. Heather, what's your initial reaction? Well, I agree with Jenna. I'm going to be a ray of sunshine. Woo! Wow. Um, so I'm obviously biased because it is a Rumpel-centric episode, but usually with those episodes, I nitpick more than anything. I love this episode. I enjoyed it from point A to point B. Yes, I have a couple of little points that, that I do want to nitpick, um, but I thought they did a great job with Rumpelstiltskin's character, sh- showing just the entire struggle of that character arc from point A to point B, uh, from season one to now. And I loved the scenes between Margot and Tilly. Um, I, I really identify with Margot and her love of food and candy. So I loved it completely and totally. Well, damn. All right. So uh, the podcast right now is split into two alliances, the Rays of Sunshine and the Dark and Gloomy Clouds. And I am the tiebreaker. And... I'm leaning towards the Ray of Sunshines. Woo! That was exciting and totally unexpected. <laughs> uh, you later. Oh. That's creepy. <laughs> we'll protect you, Jeff. Thank we you. you. We gotcha. I liked the episode. For the most part, there was something that really annoyed me, and it has to do with... Uh, I feel like Katie knows this because she knows how I feel about Rumpel. <laughs> Rumpel in the present day, but... Besides that, I really liked the flashback. I really liked a lot that was going on in the present day stuff. Uh, yeah, the the date was adorable. Uh, the only thing that really soured the episode for me was a decision, I guess, that motivated Rumple in the present throughout the entire episode. Mm. But 
even that is something that sort of pales to like the positivity at least for me for the rest of the episode so i liked it i will say i probably didn't like it as much as the previous episode but nonetheless it was still more so in the positive uh, than in the negative it's just a teeny tiny little thing that i was annoyed by that maybe heather bishop might be able to explain since she is our rumple whisperer i got you i feel like I feel like we can make it through this episode. I like it. All right. So before we get into a thorough recap of the latest episode of Once Upon a Time, here's our announcer with a few special announcements. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasters discussing some of your favorite television shows. Visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts for a complete list of all the podcasts that we produce. You will get up-to-date information on whether the podcast is currently releasing new episodes or if it's on hiatus. You will also be able to click a link to either take you to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or the Poppy Chula Radio archives to download the podcast. To binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasts, visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts. Would you like to be one of the podcasters on this podcast discussing your favorite television show? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. We are always looking for new voices to add to our collection of podcasts. To become a co-host you must be at least 18 years old. You must be comfortable sharing your opinions. And you must be comfortable using Skype. There's no podcast experience required. So if you think you have what it takes to be a Poppy Chula Radio on-air personality, email talent at poppychularadio.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This is a Poppy Chula Radio special announcement. Poppychularadio.com is currently looking to expand its web presence, and we're looking for your help. If you're a fan of Poppy Chulo Radio and its signature series, please visit GoFundMe.com slash Radio and help us with our campaign. Every dollar amount donated will be improving the Poppy Chulo Radio experience and making it more interactive and user-friendly. We thank you in advance for your support. This has been a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement. We now return you to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks, announcer. Okay, everyone, let's get into it. A quick shout-out to the opening title card, which uh, featured, if I'm not mistaken, those were Coco Marigolds, uh, spelling out mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really cool. I liked yeah, it. Yeah, it was kind of awesome. So uh, we featured a couple of little Coco references throughout this episode, so... That was fantastic, and let's start off with the first one. So, as we always do, we start off in the past, and we see Rumpelstiltskin. I'm going to assume, timeline-wise, it's still early on, you know, since he has uh, uh, started his quest for the Guardian post-Bell's death, post him leaving that... um, I don't know what we called it, the, uh, the, that location, the end, of realms. the end of realms where time, uh, sort of works very differently. And, uh, he has this, um, 
I don't even know what you would call this area because they didn't really give it a name, but it's it's kind of like a mausoleum almost. It's very Coco inspired, you know, Day of the Dead. Uh, kind of like an ofrenda. Pardon? Kind of like an ofrenda. There you go. And uh, uh, you know the the marigolds all are all over the place. Candles, the uh, Day of the Dead masks. And uh, there is a picture that he makes appear of Belle, and uh, he, he starts talking to the picture, and that kind of thing. And Facilier ends up uh, appearing out of nowhere, basically to make a threat. This is the first time Facilier and Rumpel, uh, I guess, meet. And Facilier just states that he wants the dagger. And he's going to get that dagger. And he even has a little voodoo doll. And, and he pricks it. But nothing happens. And so Rumple gets a chance to talk. And basically, you know, he threatens Facilier. You know, he um, starts talking about... You know, he makes it seem like as if he's going to destroy him, basically. But Facilier's like, Belle wouldn't like that. You know, and if you do this, then, you know, the darkness wins. And you'll never be able to be reunited with her. And so Rumple's like, can you really speak to Belle? Tell me what she's saying. And uh, Facilier basically tells him that, you know, he needs to continue on with his quest for the Guardian and so-and-so, and so, um, Rumple lets Facilier go, and Facilier's final word to Rumple is basically like, you know, continue on with your quest, because, you know, if you fail, I get the dagger. Boom, 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 boom. Heather, what did you think of this opening? What did you think of... Rumple trying to uh, commune with Belle and uh, Rumple's first meetup with Facilier. Okay, I loved this scene. Um I got I got a little misty the first time I watched through it because that little the, just Robert Carlyle's ability to make me cry is pretty high and it's really hard to do, so that got me a little misty-eyed. Um I enjoyed that he mentioned Gideon and that there's obviously still um, some kind of relationship going on between Rumpelstiltskin and Gideon because, you know, it, it's not something that I, I think we're going to see a lot of just because Gideon's not in this season. But it's nice to have an homage to that. Yes. Um, I don't know how they're talking, I guess, through uh, magical pigeons or something, but they, they that was beans. awesome. There's beans everywhere. I've, if we if we have to talk about realm jumping, there's no way for this season. <laughs> realm jumping no drunk this season. Yeah, <laughs> intense. Um, but uh, there was one little um, there was one little uh, line that Vasilier sa uh, said to Rumple that I did want to talk about because um, it confused me the first watch through, um, and it's where Vasilier tells Rumplestiltskin that. You know, the dark Bell sees darkness still inside of him and he's worried and she's worried that if he because she's not there, that he'll give in to the darkness if he doesn't hurry and find the guardian. Um, and at first I didn't like that because the implication of that is that Rumpelstiltskin's redemption isn't real. It's because he was redeemed for someone else and not himself. And that's not what redemption really is. Um, 
even with someone like Regina or Zelina or Hook, they had family members that were there that helped them through it, but their redemption was for them. So I didn't like that at first, but going back and rewatching it and thinking through it, uh, I really think that they're uh, addressing the idea of the fact that Rumpelstiltskin still has the Dark One's curse. And if you look at it through that light, I think it's more fascinating than anything else. And I think it helps to explain his actions later on in Storybrooke even, because he is still someone who's cursed. Even if he took it back on willingly, the Dark One curse, um, like we saw back in Season 5 with Emma and with Hook, it really changes a person's personality because it's a little voice in the back of your head that pushes you to do something wrong, uh, to go down the dark path, to give in to the darkness, to snuff out the light. And all of that. So I think it's really interesting um, to go to take the story in that direction because without Belle there, it would be far more difficult for Rumpelstiltskin to uh, find his moral compass because she was always someone that made him stronger as a character, someone that kept him on the path of uh, of doing the right thing. And even with um, Emma and Hook back in season five, we saw that them having their family members around them well, at least with Emma, them having their family members around really helped kind of dampen the dark curse. And even at times, Emma still lost the fight to that. So I really, really enjoyed this scene. I loved the implications of this. Um, I liked that they addressed the Dark One curse once again, um, in, at least in that manner. And I, I just, I enjoyed it. The chemistry that's there between Rumpelstiltskin and Vassilier is just phenomenal. And both of those characters sell that so very well. So, sorry, that was a lot, but I loved it. No, it was fantastic. We have a Dark One Curse expert on the podcast. That is fantastic. Heather Bishop, you've earned your doctorate in Dark One Curses. Uh, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> that was awesome. Okay, so continuing on with the story. So, we've got Rumple. He is slowly starting to become his juicy woo, self, what? as we see. Thank you, Jenna Pace. She's so excited. Ooh. I love it. Oh, well, there was that. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, we, we see it on his hands. He's slowly, you know, getting the scales back. And, and he is watching... Alice and, and Robin while he stays hidden and you know they get a little cute moment exchanging letters from Nook to Ra to Nook to Alice from Alice to Nook and uh, when uh, Robin leaves uh, Nook catches Rumple and and basically warns him to stay away you know he's used to crocodiles and that kind of thing and and uh, whatever, so he doesn't trust uh, our Rumpelstiltskin because of uh, the encounters with his own Rumpel. And uh, Rumpel is basically like, no, 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 you know, I believe Alice is someone that can help. I believe that she might be this thing called the Guardian and whatnot. But basically, Nook doesn't want to hear anything of any of that and tells him to stay away. So later on, as uh, the darkness continues to spread, Rumple uh, takes the opportunity, since he sees that Nook is not around, to uh, basically talk to Alice. And um, you know he tries he tries to plead his case 
he's like, you know, remember, we're friends, you know, but she's like, but my papa said it in a letter not to speak to you, but he's like, no, you know, you might be able to help me, and he's like, I, I can help you and your father, I can make it so that this curse that separates you, you know, is no longer there, we can cure it, I know someone that has the magic that you need, and uh, he's like, he won't give it up without a fight. And Alice is like, you know, she will do whatever it takes to reunite with her father. So Alice heads on over to Facilier's. And uh, once she uh, runs into Facilier in, in his um, lair, uh, he she starts talking to him. And then she's like, I want to speak to the dead, sort of as a ruse. And, and uh, once... Uh, Facilier realizes what's going on. Rumple is behind him. Alice is ripping out his heart. And uh, it turns out that Rumple is telling Alice that, that um, sh she needs to crush the heart so that, you know, it's a heart for a heart because th this will cure her predicament with her father. Facilier realizes that this is a test. Each guardian has to be tested. And Facilier is like, so you're going to use me as the guinea, guinea pig, basically. And Alice silences him because she's very confused about the whole situation and she really doesn't want to do this and whatnot. And, and it basically ends with Rumple, you know, really, you know, turning all uh, dark when he, even with the voice, you know, telling him telling Alice, I should say, you know, you need to do it, you need to do it, you need to do it, and Alice is basically like, no, 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 I wasn't prepared for this, I, you know, she runs out, and Rumple chases after her, of course, Alice had returned Facilia's heart, and so Rumple chases after her, and uh, she's like, you know, why didn't you tell me that this was what I was going to have to do, why didn't you prepare me, and Rumple's like, this was a test, this was a, a, a test for you, and, and you passed it. And so they're both overjoyed. And so they head back to, where is it, Jenna Pace? Um, back to the Ofrenda area. Thank you. I just wanted to hear you speak Spanish. <laughs> I like okay. it. And Thank you. so they head back, and uh, Rumple starts hearing Belle's voice. We get a lot of little uh, audio cameos from Emily DeRaven. And... Uh, He's like, I don't know how this works, but uh, Alice is like, you know, maybe instinctually I do. And so she grabs the dagger, and all of the CGI starts happening. The um, the thing that we've seen before, I don't know what you call it, like the, the Dark One spaghetti that sort of comes out, starts coming out. and That's it. Yes. The Dark One spaghetti. And it starts oh spinning around, and then it, it goes into the dagger, and we see Rumpelstiltskin's name disappear from the dagger, and we see the dagger turn into a ball of light. But while all this is going on, you see sort of the, like this hesitation on Rumpel's face. And he realizes that Alice would be burdened by all of this. I guess that the Guardian becomes immortal. At least that's the understanding that Rumpel has. Because he's like, you were just set free from a tower. 
you're you're free now. You talked about enjoying life, about enjoying potential love, and if you take this on yourself, you're going to be immortal. And this is another tower that you're you're going to be trapped in. And so, as Alice is doing her best to sort of control the darkness, which has turned now into a ball of light. I guess it's it's about to get zapped out of existence or whatever, or or absorbed into her. We don't know because Rumple stops it. He reaches into the light and the dagger returns. And, and basically he's like, I can't do this to you. I need you to be happy. I don't want you to be stuck in another tower. And so later on, Alice and Robin are, are together, young love, looking cuter than ever. And we see a fully juicy, woo, Rumple. Woo! observing and uh, Nook is, is surprised by everything and uh, he's like I guess you really aren't the rumple that I know you're different and he even extends out his hand and juicy rumple woo, is like a pirate and a dark one is friends and, and so they shake and uh, Nook asks him what are you gonna do with your life now. And he's like, what well, Rumple does, spin, spin, spin. So, with this flashback, we officially have an answer. So, that Rumple that was spinning many, many, many episodes ago is our Rumple. After we saw that flashback with the caged Wish Realm Rumple, I think we all assumed that that was the Rumple that we saw. So I guess that caged Wish Realm Rumple never got broken out by uh, Nook. So the one that we saw spinning and that, uh, you know, it was right before the curse was um, enacted, that was our Rumple. So we got the answer to that, finally. I thought we had the answer to that a couple episodes ago, but no, we finally get it. So let's see. Jenna Pace, since you were positive about the episode i want to get your pot no actually you know what let's go with oh. katie first oh. so that no so that jenna pace <laughs> you can bring the positivity afterwards oh okay. i love how jenna was like no i don't want to hear katie talk right now no 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 okay, but jenna get even more excited because that means you get to sort of like i get a you get to rebuttal get a everything that katie says well i Yes. I'll make it. I'm going to be negative. Katie, I don't know. I mean, let's. You want to rewind your initial reaction? Okay, listen. <laughs> Katie, what did you think of the flashback? I liked. I enjoyed the flashback. Like I said. You weren't looking episode... at your phone? What? You were not looking at your phone? I was looking at my phone a lot, but <laughs> I did genuinely enjoy the flashback more than the present day for some reason, but. I I liked the flashback. I thought it was more exciting, um, particularly because we got to see Rumple and um, just uh, wow, his name just left my mind for a hot second there. We got to see Rumple and Facilier's um, first interaction. We got to see them. Um, we got to see Alice take Facilier's heart out, um, and one of my favorite scenes, cinematically, I guess you could say, 
this season actually took place in this flashback. I really loved the scene where um, Alice is taking the over the day or whatever. Dark one spaghetti. The dark one spaghetti scene. There you go. I genuinely love that scene. Um, that actually really enthralled me, and it's one of my favorite scenes I think of the season, um, just because it was done so beautifully. I guess you could say I really liked um, how they did it with CGI. I loved how we got to see all the darkness leaving Rumple and turning into light in Alice, and it was very interesting to see how how the day turned into like this ball of light I guess you could say and it was it's very intriguing because I really want to know what's going to happen when the guardian does completely take over um and I mean we just got a little taste of it in the scene that just gave us a little taste of what's actually going to happen so I'm really curious as to what's going to happen in it and it really set up um kind of excitement for what's to come in that area um but i I do think that that was one of my favorite scenes in this episode especially the flashback um i really the other scene that i really just wanted to touch upon was um the scene with nook and rumple where um rumple says something about you know the dark one and the pirate and um can they be friends and uh you know, Nook says, um, says maybe it's time for a new story. I really like that because we have seen throughout all of these seasons, we've seen that the Dark One and Hook are always at each, at each other's throats. Even when they're forced to work together, they've never really worked together together. Um, so it was kind of, you know, it was nice to see them be cordial with each other, um, which we have seen in Hyperion Heights in the past, but it was kind of nice to see that in in the magical, the magical forest setting. Um, the other thing that I really liked from this flashback um, was actually Rumpel, or I should say Robert Carlyle's acting. There was a scene, and I'm trying to remember, I think it was in the hut, Yes, it was. It was when he was trying to convince Alice to um, crush Facilier's heart. Um, when he was, like, going back and forth and getting into, like, the Dark One mindset. And he was he was really, he is doing all the faces, the same voice as the Dark One, but, you know, he doesn't have any of the makeup on. So it looks like, it looks like gold, but he's acting like the Dark One. Um, and that was just, that was really fascinating for me to see. And I think that Robert did such a good job acting that out. Um, cause he, you know, he really didn't do anything different than he has done in the past by acting as a dark one, but it was just different as viewers because we're used to seeing those antics when he has all the makeup on. So to see him without the makeup and acting like, like the dark one, um, like Juicy Rumple, uh, woo, <laughs> is it was it was kind of exciting. <laughs> Jenna Bates. <laughs> Jenna. She's she's ready to talk. So that's all that's all I really had to say. But cool. those were a couple of the scenes that I really did enjoy, um, that did keep me did keep me entertained, especially in the flashback. Okay. Well we're not gonna end this segment on negativity, so I have to ask Vinny first. So Jenna, hold on. <laughs> I, I see your your hand is is raised, and you're raising the second one now, and you're like, "What the hell?" But Vinny, 
bring us down into the darkness. <laughs> you know, the this the whole thing with this episode is just I didn't buy into it. I just didn't. You know, the 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 Rupple and, and Nook thing, I will say that I like that because that's a long time coming for Hook to be able to forgive Rumple. And even though it's not the original Hook, that was a nice a nice little tidbit and I I'm happy that they showed us that because it kind of supports these two working together under the curse, you know, what happens after it's over. Now we kind of have an idea. But this whole thing with Alice uh, and the test, and I saw right through it from the beginning. Like, it just, I don't know. I felt like this was a color-by-numbers episode that was just already colored in for me. <laughs> and this section, the, the, the Dark One dagger turning into a ball of cold fusion or something whatever it was it kind of looked like she was opening a portal from quantum leap (laughs) or something i don't know but i love alice she did phenomenal i i love rumple he did phenomenal as well it just i don't feel like the material they were given has really it stood up to what we've been building up to this entire season and the whole test with facility i didn't like that because i'm with you jeff i want backstory on facilier and i don't think that we're going to get it and i'm now afraid that this is it um i don't like how he just kind of walks out of nowhere and is like you know want something and i expected there to be a history between rumple and facilier and maybe some you know old like fellow evil guys club romance slash rivalry and it just i didn't like this this setup it didn't feel cohesive it didn't really I mean, it did tickle, you know, my, my, like, fandom, I won't lie. I mean, I liked seeing those two interacting a little bit more after we've been teased before that there's something between them, but I didn't like the history. And this whole setup of the test and Alice passing, I mean, Rumpel turning dark again was weird to me because he lived an entire life with Bill. He changed during that lifetime, which, to me, I took away the fact that during the lifetime that he lived with Bill at the end of the world or where time didn't pass or whatever it was that place you know land of far away narnia for all we know it changed him for the better he had all these years of no combat no susceptibility to the darkness he it's almost like a buddhist retreat for rumple you know this episode showing that not long after bell's dead and he's doing the quest he's just immediately starting to fall back into his old habits of like letting the darkness start encroaching on him again by, you know, whether it was from teasing Alice or what, it, I didn't buy it for that character. I feel like it was a backward step in his development. I do get that the darkness is always supposed to be in there. We talked about that last episode when he and Zelina had that conversation. But I feel like Rumple has come so far at this point in the story that this flashback just didn't make sense to me and didn't really mesh with what I took from his sojourn with Belle. So, I don't know. I... I that was kind of my whole thing with this is I thought that he was well past a lot of the stuff that he was showing in this episode. It just kind of seemed like we were right back at square one where he was still having a hard time deciding if he wanted to be a good guy or a bad guy and giving in so easily. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of was the pinpoint of why I was so meh. Okay. Very interesting points. Jenna Pace, tell us why Vinny is wrong. Okay, well, <laughs> okay, well, um, my main rebuke to his rebuke about um, Rumpel kind of like seemingly easily falling back into the darkness is that 
you know, it's kind of, Bell has been somebody who he's kind of been using as a lot of a crutch for his light side. And, yeah, like, he really is dependent on her to make those right decisions. She helps him see his softer side. And she's been a lot of, she's been kind of, in many ways, his main way of support for all these years. And even though she does believe in the, even though she does have a, even though she has, uh, even though he has grown a lot on his own, it's like his first time in a while being without that, being without that support, it's going to be kind of like, uh, I'm, I'm kind of like tempted to say after you've been in a, in, in a, it's like jumping back into a pool of cold water again at, after being out of it for so long. You're going to do things like shake and jitter and maybe even like fall into the pool because you're shaking and jittering so much that you slip right in. So for me, it didn't, for me, it was, it, it was believable enough. Um, but I'd like to talk about like my own perspective on some of the moments in the episode. I love the Rumple hook rivalry. That's always been one of my favorite dynamics of the entire series. I think it's probably my third favorite of all of the of the whole show. And I love the delivery. I love the resolution that we got between those two characters. I know it wasn't Storybrooke hook, so it did lack a little bit of the weight of it, but there is still there is still um that rivalry. There still always was a bitterness between them. There still is the knowledge. There still is a bit of a knowledge that this Rumpel isn't as isn't either isn't as repentant or isn't as useful to his purposes as the Wish Rumpel was. Like Wish going to Wish Rumpel and letting the past go was more of an instance of I'm going to do whatever it takes to just kind of get my daughter out, and if that means just having to let go of the past just out of necessity, I will. But as far as I know, this Rumpel's been around for some time, and he hasn't been helping me. And from what I heard, even though he has changed, I'm a little reluctant to believe it. So I like his skepticism, and I've been really hoping we could see that first clip of what, how this hook would get along with this Rumpel. And it was everything that I hoped to see. And adding Alice and Robin to the mix just made it so much better. By the way, Alice and Robin were just so cute, just being in the background in those two scenes. Um, also, I like that between the first Rumpel and Hook scene and the second one, you'd see the passage of time through the seasons. Because in the first scene, it's either spring or fall. And then in the next scene, it is very clearly winter with all the snow on the ground. So... That was an interesting thing. It gives Hook time to absorb things. It shows a bit of a passage of time. It shows Rumpel's calm down after, you know, the darkness being unfortunately settling in. So I like that. I really like the use of Alice's bracelet to kind of de- kind of be that symbol of love, that symbol of possible love. I think it's really cute. I think that I like that they did show Rumpel on that borderline edge of darkness. Like, just how dark is he going to go to get what he wants? And he does go a fair amount of darkness, and it kind of, it speaks more to Alice's good nature, how even though he manipulated her, she kind of gets an idea of where it's coming from. She kind of gets an idea of the hero that she could be if she only takes this on. And knowing that she can do it, knowing who, that Alice is who Alice is. She goes for it and she tries. And 
Rumple and it's Rumple realizing his own folly, realizing realizing his inner level of empathy. That's such a show of how this character has changed, and that really makes the moment where he where he refuses and's like, Alice, no, you're not going to do this. So powerful, and it creates and it makes sense like why in the Eighth Witch we see Alice stick with stick with um rumble the way that she did because of that because of the bond that formed that night because of how powerful it was because of the the weight of the sacrifice on both of their ends so i think that it was so yeah i think that this um flashback as a whole provided so much in terms of character building and that the i think that Focusing on this smaller section of character, this smaller story, gave it so much gave it so much weight, importance, and it bounced out really well with the with the present activities. And I agree with you, Jenna. I really like the flashback as well. In the beginning, I wasn't buying the scaly return of Juicy Rumple. Woo! Much like Vinny. But by the end of it, I kind of got it, and I was cool with it, and it did make sense. You know, Bell isn't there to help him control the darkness, and so the darkness will slowly return and take over again. The thing that I didn't like, because I was like, finally, we get rid of it, but obviously we don't, because he's still looking for the Guardian in the present day. You know, I, I was a little annoyed that he stopped the whole uh, deep dark oneification process but it did make sense for him because of the character growth and uh, even though i was annoyed because i was like let's just be done with all this obviously we can't because of the present day but you know i, I was like in the moment in the story and uh, i was like you know what that is growth for rumple i gotta give him props he didn't want to trap her I guess she becomes immortal if she absorbs it all. Then I, I don't know how he's going to pick the right person if he's always going to feel guilty if I'm making you immortal now, this or the other. But uh, I wish that they would have given some sort of manual for this thing, this process, because like we need definitive answers. Like, Will the person become immortal? Will the person just sort of house the darkness? Will the darkness just be expelled into light? This out of the other, uh, because it looked like the darkness was just going to disappear into this puff of light. So I guess we're um, going to have to wait and see because at some point it will happen. Um, you know, spoiler alert! Oh, yeah, I feel yeah. like he's going to die and be reunited with Bell. So I, I think I have an answer for you, Jeff. Actually, Ooh, tell me. You well, are um, the doctor in Darkwing. Yeah, yeah, got my doctor ever. <laughs> um, so back in season five, we learned that the dark curse originated or the dark one curse originated with merlin and nimue um and it originated because merlin drank from the holy grail um nimue also drank from the holy grail but she did it with um to so that she could kill the guy who killed everybody in her village um and she took on an immortal like an immortal cur or power in, in a sense so but turned it to darkness and then merlin tethered that darkness to her and to the dagger 
So I'm, pr- I'm fairly certain that that is the power that makes the Dark One immortal, and um, the only way to kill the Dark One is to kill them through the dagger and all of that. So I think that anything... Um, yeah, because even Merlin said in Season 5 that some one day someone would take the darkness and turn it back to the light. So any tampering with that power, any taking on of that power would more than likely make that person immortal. And it makes sense for Rumpelstiltskin to not want Alice to do that since he's had has however many centuries to sit there and watch the world go by in his own tower or, or whatever, um, that he wouldn't want her to have to go through that. So it would, I think, make whoever it is immortal. Okay, interesting. Now, I can't believe I'm even going to bring this back up. Uh-oh. The oh, no. boy will be your undoing. Right. But then they did the one-for-one trade. So the darkness, and this is the way I understood season three, um, because of how they uh, brought Rumpelstiltskin back. Um, The darkness was housed within that vault. And we saw, didn't we see the vault again in season five as well? I feel like I'm missing something, that there was some further development of it. uh, We saw Emma and Killian both emerge out of the dark one vault, but that was the extent of it. Maybe. But, I mean, as far as Season 3 goes, the Dark Curse, I don't think it can be destroyed for the Dark One Curse. Because that would be uh, destroying basically a gift from the Grail. So it wouldn't make sense for it to be able to destroy it without some kind of turning the magic into something else or something along those lines. Especially since um, Season 4 we said that we can't destroy magic, you can only change it into a different form. Um, So in that sense, the Dark Curse was in the vault... But when you did the one-for-one trade with Neil for Rumpelstiltskin, he became back as the 100% Dark One. So it doesn't change anything about the Dark One curse. He still would have to kill the Dark One. And it's still that immortal curse because it didn't change his immortality. Does that answer that question? Yes and no. So do we think the boy was Balefire or do we think the boy could still be Henry? Could he still help out, do you think, at all or no? Do you think the whole the boy will be your undoing thing is, is something that we will not revisit at all? Up in the air. I, don't, I don't think we'll revisit it because I really think that they answered that question in that it was Henry to a degree. I always thought that the boy that was going to lead to his undoing was Pan. So, mm. so I'm true. a little bit different on that one just because he did lead him to his son and then he was literally the reason that he had to die. <laughs> uh-huh. oh, Very true. I think, if I remember correctly, the boy will be your undoing was referring to the fact that going to Henry and in any way helping rescue him or being a part of that was going to lead to his undoing in the form of his father, who wanted, ultimately, I think, to take over. Right? Because wasn't that the whole thing was like, the boy will be your undoing is like, Henry will be his undoing because Henry being taken leads him to confronting his father and all the stuff with the shadows and the darkness and that season aside, at the end of that season, you know, we do the undoing was Henry came back, we had Pan, body swap, whatever, but it ultimately ended up with Rumple undoing himself and sacrificing mm-hmm. himself. And that was his undoing. I think it was just specifically that phrase and that, that prophecy was meant just for that season. Yeah, I would agree with Vinny. Okay, I like it. The reason that I brought it up is uh, people in the comment section and various websites keep on bringing it up, and uh, I'm like, is that going to make a comeback? I don't know. 
I guess maybe not. So I do have something for Mm -hmm. you though. All right, she can go first. Me? Oh, I thought Heather. Oh, that was Jenna with the ooh. Jenna, go with your ooh. Yeah. Okay, so I do have another. I have a theory about how the darkness. Um, so I understand that it probably wouldn't be like the guardian. Well, it could be through the guardian, but. One thing that I've been theorizing since season five is a way to eliminate the darkness is kind of a magic equilibrium. Like everybody takes on a little bit of the darkness, kind of like the re- the resolution to snowing sleeping curse thing back in season six. Everybody takes on a little bit of the darkness. That way it's not punishing anybody. It's not as potent. It's not making people immortal. That way Rumple can die and everybody else can die. But And dark magic isn't destroyed. It's just... Everyone Everybody dies. has that little bit of darkness in it that they're constantly fighting. That's real life. And everybody dies. Well, yeah, as they as in a natural life. It's oh, not like okay. you're alive any longer than you necessarily would be. Kind of like when again when the sleeping curse was really diluted, nobody was sleeping any better or worse than they than they were, other than the initial like nap. Maybe it cured a couple of people's insomnia. Like, maybe this will make a couple of people want to, like, steal, be petty thieves a little bit more. But what I'm saying is it's not going to be, like, ultra darkness. It's going to be, like, everybody's going to be a little bit more dark. And that's something they're going to have to combat. But it's going to be very, very small. And they have the rest. And they have, like, the lightness inside them to help them out. Okay, that's interesting. Vinny, what were you going to say? So I'm going to wax a little pagan here. But to fall back on the foundation of this series magic comes with a price so if we go back to nimue and what she did versus merlin the issue that we have here is that magic always that in every study that you can ever find like if you look up wicca or if you look up druidism or if you look up almost anything nine times out of ten there's going to be a tenant in there some way that says when you perform an action there are always reaction it also goes back to like the laws of physics for every you know opposite Equal and opposite action has a blah, blah, blah reaction. So, like in Wicca, it says everything you do comes back on you threefold. So, that in mind, I think that the magic always does come with a price. In Nimue's case, what she wanted was coming from a very selfish place. And because of that selfish desire, the magic's price and the toll that it took was turning her into the Dark One. Because even though she was a good person, she allowed the desire for vengeance to control her and consume her. And we know what vengeance does to just any normal person. If you nurse a grudge for a long time, you become bitter, you become angry, you become cold, dark, etc. That manifested itself as the price of what she wanted to have the magic that she wanted... She was twisted into this cold, heartless, soulless being. And someone who doesn't have that desire, the pure of heart, if they were to obtain magic of that magnitude, if they weren't going into it wanting something, because Rumpel took it with his own purpose of like saving his child. All the Dark Ones in the past probably took this dagger wanting something. The Guardian being pure of heart is given this mantle, this responsibility, and they choose to accept it, but they don't accept it from a selfish place. Thus, the purity of their heart enlightens to purity of purpose. So I believe the magic then wouldn't be twisted. I believe she would potentially be in, uh, immortal, but she might not. It just might be that she is someone who can hold that magic without any you know, selfish, vengeful desires, and thus it won't affect her 
the way that it has the others. And that's where the pure of heart thing comes into play. So I think Rumpel was, I was disappointed because I really wanted to see what was about to happen because it looked like she was purifying what was twisted and took physical manifestation in the form of violence, a dagger. She took away that shape and was purifying it. That's what I got from that scene. So I really don't think she's going to pay a horrible price for taking on the mantle of the Guardian. I mean, but at the same time, if you're talking about take somebody taking it on for for pure reasons, there's really, um, I, I really I see uh, it, that 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 kind of that's a really good explanation. But also taking it on for pure reasons, Rumpelstiltskin laid down his soul for his son, so that he would have some way to protect his son because there was no other way for him to protect his son. They tried to run away and it didn't work. Um, and also um, from the fact that. I don't, I don't know, because Rumpelstiltskin was originally supposed to be one of the saviors that you saw, and then when his mother cut away the ties for all of that. Um, so there would, there would have been something inherently light within him anyway when he took on that power. So it, I don't know. I feel like the Guardian would still have to pay that immortality because it's not necessarily having a, a reason behind why you're doing it, a pure reason behind it. Uh, the, the price for that magic is immortality. Uh, you may be one of the most light practitioners of magic like Emma was, but when she took on the curse for good reasons, she still got affected by it. So the Guardian has to be someone separate, someone who already has uh, magic inherent, someone who's some kind of vessel for that uh, power to be able to turn it back to the light instead of just, you know, untwisting it like you were saying. But I still think that the untwisting of all of that, despite pure intentions, anything, the price of that magic is still going to be immortality. It could be. No, we shouldn't have to go this deep into it. They should tell know, us these things. I know, right? But you know what's funny is, Jeff. You know how you kept making the the spaghetti remark? Yes. And then you said manual, and in my mind, I'm just like imagining a cooking show with Julia Child. Hello, I'm going to tell you how to purify your dark one spaghetti. <laughs> That's, That's going to be season oh eight. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's yes. the next spin-off. If you drop it on the floor, remember, you're the only one in the kitchen. <laughs> that is and too much. It would much. work. <laughs> it would work. Yes. Jenna Pace, make us some dark one spaghetti. I'm assuming it's just pasta with like a little bit of, uh, you know. Squid, squid ink. ink. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying it could work. Julia Child. Julia Child's not... I don't believe she's alive and No, Rumble she is not. <laughs> like they big can have, time. They can have a cooking show in heaven. We'll just get Facilier to channel her. It'll be her voice coming out of his mouth. I would pay to see that. <laughs> oh, do you think we can like ask them to put this in? It's not too late, right? I, I know, right? Please, please have her be Madame Leota. That is too much. Okay, yeah. everyone. Let's head into present-day Hyperion Heights, and let's start off with the teeny tiny little storyline. So towards the teeny 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 tiny. Okay, so at the start of the episode, uh, we have Henry still confused as to what the hell happened with Nick. And, you know, Nick tried to kill him, and he was the serial killer, and he's trying to explain everything that uh, happened to Jacinda, and, and Jacinda's like, you know, what did you learn? And, and he's like, well, I'm still confused, you know, I can't tell you right now. And she looks very disappointed that he can't tell her. 
and I don't know what he's eating, but it looked good. I, I wasn't sure if it was lasagna or if it was like a piece of cake, but it was breakfast, it, so I was very confused. Maybe it was breakfast lasagna. Maybe a tart of some kind? It was some kind of lasagna. Yeah, it looked good, nonetheless. And so he goes on an adventure with Rogers basically to find a piece of um, evidence, you know, the paper that he saw uh, in the previous episode from Nick's apartment. We're going to get into, like, the whole Roger side of the, the coin in a moment, focusing on Henry. By the end of the episode, he has the paper. The paper confirms that Henry is the biological father of Lucy. And so when he meets up with Jacinda, he explains, you know, Nick had this test, these results. Remember that I, you know, gave blood and I had to go back to the hospital to confirm that you know, this wasn't doctored or altered or photoshopped and that kind of thing. And it wasn't. These are the results. It says that I am Lucy's father. And, uh, you know, both of them are confused, yet excited. And, and they're wondering if, if, you know, everything that Lucy has been saying is uh, true. So, it was a very short storyline, especially because we're focusing only on the Henry and Jacinda part of it. But, uh, Katie, I don't know if you like this, but the question that I'm going to ask you is, what (laughs) do you think happens next? Where do you think this goes? Do you think we're going to get a true love's kiss sooner rather than later? What do you think is going to happen with this storyline? Well, that's a good question, because I have no idea. (laughs) But... I want to say we're going to get a true love's kiss sooner rather than later. But I feel like I'm going to predict either it's going to happen at the very end of the next episode. Or it's going to happen during the episode after next. Which I believe is the Who is Henry Mills? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm wondering... I'm wondering if... The kiss does happen at the very end of the next episode, and then the episode after that deals with the after effects of that. Because, As in you know, Henry's dying. You know, <laughs> it would add drama. <laughs> you know, we, we haven't had that in a while. We haven't had enough drama, so why Never not? Never mind that he'll die. More. It'll just add drama. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, they did I say... I wonder if that could be what brings the Charmings back. It could be. Like, um, well, <laughs> you got to come back now. <laughs> that signal. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like I don't know what's going to happen. And I, I've honestly had no predictions throughout this season. But I'm going to put my bet on, on it being that... The Trulo's kiss will happen at the end of next episode. And then the episode after that will deal with all the fallout of that. So that's what my prediction is. Because I think what I'm most excited for is finding out how they're going to really react to this news. Because, like, how, I mean, I don't even know how I would react to something like that if something happened like that to me. I mean, 
It's just, it, I'm very intrigued. And I've been Katie waiting for this for a long time. usually casts the curse. Like, she's not the one that yeah. experiences it. So, you yeah. Yeah, so I honestly <laughs> want to know how to take it from that side of things. <laughs> uh, but I'm really excited for this storyline in particular because I've been waiting for it for so long. And we're finally going to experience it and see what's going to happen. So... So I'm going to place my bet on Trulo's Kiss happening at the end of next episode. Okay, I like it. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So let's talk about the other side of the coin. Uh, let's talk about the Rogers side of the storyline. So uh, when Henry initially approaches Rogers uh, about uh, you know his whole predicament, you know going back into uh, Nick's apartment and and uh, searching for something, uh, this little thing that um that that he was shown and whatnot enclosure and all that kind of thing uh, rogers ends up calling him you know my unofficial deputy which was a nice little moment and rogers had this uh, surveillance uh from um the night that nick died you know he informs henry that nick is dead but it was all mysterious and that kind of thing and uh, the cameras flickered in uh the precinct but he thought of like checking the surveillance outside from the bank cameras and we see photos of Samdi and uh, Drew or at least an unidentified man according to Rogers uh, and uh, they head on over to uh, Nick's apartment Henry finds the paperwork and they hear some rustling and some noise, and uh, an intruder, you know, runs out. And Rogers immediately follows in pursuit. It turns out that it is Drew. Drew is caught by Rogers, and uh, Drew explains, you know, he wasn't there for any sort of, um, you know, nefarious reason. Well, maybe a little bit nefarious. He's like, you know, once he heard what happened to Nick. He wanted to find a way to protect himself from Samdi. He says Samdi is very powerful. And uh, he was like, maybe Nick died because Nick had something to hold over Samdi. And that's why Samdi decided to snuff him out. And uh, he's like, uh, you know, he feels Samdi is responsible for Nick's death. And, uh, you know, he, he's scared of going to the authorities because he doesn't know how to explain it. And, uh, and you know because of Samdi's power and he's like you know I know you're not going to understand any of this and if I told you you're, you're going to think I'm crazy but if you want to really know how Nick died and if you want to know how really powerful Samdi is you need to check that autopsy report from the medical examiner and so when the autopsy returns Rogers discovers that Nick died from a stab wound into his heart but from inside his body not through you know the outside going in from he died from the inside boom 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 yes and so Drama. rogers starts s suspecting something weird is going on here Vinny. You love stabbing people through the heart. <laughs> Talk to me about this storyline. I feel like if you liked anything, you might have liked this. You know, 
You're quite intuitive because I actually did. <laughs> <laughs> this whole segment just I, I got this like alternate reality version of Murder She Wrote starring Nook. Like I just do, I, do, then, do, do. Right exactly, just picturing him riding the bike through Maine <laughs> like she does in the opening credits. Yes. Him in her silk pajamas, not as pretty a sight, but Funniness aside, I thought this was a really interesting aspect because one of my favorite aspects of this season alone has been how this has kind of been like Saved by the Bell or 90210, the college years, where like they've these characters have like graduated from just typical traditional storybook heroes with the twist to this serial killer murder mystery, dark, gritty, urban feel that they've been going for. One of the things that really makes me laugh though is that even though they're in Hyperion Heights, which is a subdivision of Seattle. I don't know if anyone else kind of feels this way, but it kind of still feels like that storybook atmosphere because it just seems like this is one of the smallest city areas because people just are constantly running into each other so easily. And it almost, it's interesting. I really like how even though they did put it in such a large sprawling setting, it still has that like intimate connectiveness where characters run into each other because in reality, chances are he probably would not have caught Drew. He probably would have, like, missed him by hours or, you know, whatever. But I, this section in particular I enjoyed because you can tell that, like, Henry and Nook are, are getting their cursed personas all shook up now. Like, the pieces are starting to delicately fracture, and eventually we're going to get to, you know, this moment where it's like, oh, shit, this is this is all real. There's There's more going on here. And in this area in particular you know we already kind of got it last episode with henry and now that you know he's he's with working with nook and finding out that nick died you know potentially under mysterious circumstances i think these 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 two are like probably going to be at this point the last to know other than jacinda and i'm kind of on the edge of my seat waiting for that to happen because it's been tugging at my heartstrings with like nook and alice together but not you know out of the curse and you know henry and jacinda sometimes i feel like it's beating a dead horse how many times they've gotten so close to kissing and then something interrupts them like literally even though i'm not a huge fan of their relationship because i i don't dig the chemistry i still am like i want to see what happens when the curse breaks i want to see that moment you know is it going to be like oh kiss and they're transported back to storybrook or fairytale land or kiss and like there's a giant 360 degree you know, magical field that dispels everybody, even though most people are already woken up. I, I want to see that. And I didn't even realize it until this episode, but even though I'm not invested in their relationship, I'm invested in this curse. And I'm invested in delicate little, like, Agatha Christie-like moments we've had throughout this season, where it's almost kind of like, and then there were none, in the sense of it's, and then there were these few people who were not awake from the curse, and everyone else is, and we're just waiting for them to wake up. But let's watch their suspense-filled journey and I felt that in this segment. I felt the frustration of the characters. Like, what the hell is going on? Because from their perspective, you know, they're still under the curse. So there's, like, people dying mysteriously in witness rooms. There's this strange patchouli-smelling hippie witch that's, like, at the center of it. But she's not around right now. But she's causing all sorts of crazy crap. There's my partner who is weirdly aware of a lot of stuff. And I'm trusting him, even though I feel like I don't know what's going on. I'm invested in their personalities, like, slowly coming to grips with everything falling apart around them. 
So I thought this was a really excellent example of that, and I really liked it. Uh, and Drew was just, I don't know, the actor was apparently, uh, not apparently, but appropriately squirmy, like backed into a corner. I really bought that he felt he had no choice, and he was trying to do the best that he could to figure things out, and I really liked that, because he hasn't really been given that much opportunity to exercise his chops as an actor, and that character, I feel, has been kind of, for the most part, cardboard, because he's just kind of been in the background. So I, I liked having him just show up there and have a little bit of a moment to give a little bit more of expose on Samdi with while wetting our appetites for more. Jenna Pace, you know what I'm going to give you. Really? Yes. Okay. I'm going to have you talk all about the date. So let's continue yes! on with the story. So while yes! all... Oh, gosh. <laughs> Thank well, you! You're welcome. This is my personal Christmas gift for you. So while all of this is going on, Margot meets up with Tilly, and uh, they end up going out on a date together. They spend the day together in Hyperion Heights. They're like, you know, she's like, I am going to show you my side of the Heights, and I want you to introduce me to your side of the Heights as well. And uh, we initially meet up with Tilly while she is um, you know, doing a drawing, a sketch of uh, the troll under the overpass. And so they spend the day together. They eat, uh, what was it? It was like caramel candied apples that looked really, really good. And uh, then uh, Margot is taken to one of Tilly's favorite places, this uh, Pop and Pop owned bookshop where you know you can visit the world uh, through books and uh, while all of this is going on Tilly has been complaining about you know this this buzzing this these noises this this humming and whatnot that only she can hear and Margot can't and uh, they even have a cute little moment in which back in the um, magical forest Margot had made Tilly uh, a like friendship bracelet type of thing. Well, she ends up finding the friendship bracelet in uh, Hyperion Heights, and uh, you know she ends up taking it to her, and uh, you know she ends up putting it on and all this kind of stuff. But all of this is like too much for Tilly, especially with all of these, these this buzzing and stuff that she hears, and she abruptly ends the date. We're going to continue with this side of the story when we discuss Weaver in a moment. So later on at Ronnie's, Tilly ends up, uh, you know, going to talk to Margot to apologize for everything that's been going on. She ends up bringing... I have no idea what that was. I know it was candy and, and fruit. It looked like melon. So it was like, you know, just candy and slices of melon. I think so. I tried figuring it out for the longest time. But I, I know, I freeze-framed it, and I was still very confused. I, I saw all the colorful stuff that was candy, and I guess the green stuff was melon. I yeah. was kind of confused, because I was like, is that lettuce? And did she make, like, a candy salad or something? <laughs> I was very confused. Whatever it is, it was kind of like a, a candy salad, if you, if you really think about it, a mixture of candies with maybe fruits and that kind of stuff. She was like, oh, you can, you know, put candy on everything. So she apologizes, and she's like, you know, some days are good, 
some days are bad and you know I really wanted to make a good impression with you I wanted you to see a good day and uh, Margot was basically like you know it's okay she accepts the apology and she's like don't worry you know whatever's going on you know I will still be here regardless so focusing specifically on the dates because we will talk about uh, the whispers and whatnot a little bit later on what did you think of our girls going out on a date making a day of it in Hyperion Heights and what did you think of those you know caramel candied apples <laughs> okay um so before we get into all that Actually, you know, let's get into the fluffy start before I get into the slightly more serious part of it. Um, so I love how they don't really waste time. And Margot's like, you know what? I like this girl. I'm just going to go ask her out. The flirting was once again adorable. I, I don't get how the Once Upon a Time casting department is so good. They get lightning in a bottle when they make these relationships. And Tilly and Margot just, they show it off so well. And... Well, yeah, it's it's just a cute relationship, and there are little and there are little perils to their other lives. In fact, I what I find interesting is that um, Margot is the more worldly person in the Hyperion Heights setting, yet in the Enchanted Forest, Alice is the more worldly one. So they have this very interesting twist where both Robin, Robin and Tilly are the knight play the naive ones, even though they're not the same person. So I, I think that's a really cool contrast. I love how the library was not a mom and pop place, but a pop and pop library. So that was just really cute. Yes. Nice little sprinkle. Um, okay. Um, if seeing the, the uh, Tilly's explanation of the library was really cute. And I like that that's a place she would hang out because it's kind of shown that Tilly is poor. She lives in a shipping container, and she's not very visible, so this, like, a library, a place where you're meant to be quiet, would be a place that she would have spent all her time. Um, so, that was cute. Now I want to get into the slightly more serious and nuanced aspects of this date that I really think pull up Tilly's character so much. Tilly, from the beginning, has really encoded, I think, as somebody with mental illness. She's con- you know, she behaves in very different ways than somebody neurotypical the way that she sees the world it's considered by it can it's framed by the other characters to be very uncommon mm-hmm. and, and she's and also drugged up she is she is but the uh she is though the drug though when she's off drugs she's also very well you saw like an ep in in the um Hyperion Heights stuff in Beauty, when she was off her meds, she was also very tripped up, too. So she's Well, I think it's because I feel like she has always been awake, and the drugs control her and put her back under. I think if she doesn't take her drugs, she will fully wake up. Well, I don't she know. She was getting the there. But yeah. I don't know about that. But I agree also- that they've always treated the character of Tilly as if she has mental illness. That's why she's on the drugs, because they feel like she's crazy. And I feel like... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You can go. You can quickly. You can uh, say would... <laughs> Well, thank you. You're so magnanimous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like with her, the issue is that she's so powerful or so integral to multiple things that the curse just didn't fully absorb. 
Like something just about it didn't mesh with her being. And so, you know, maybe it has to do with being the guardian or being, you know, the potential pure of heart, ultimate vessel or something. I just feel like that ties into it. And maybe the drugs kind of help, you know, keep it on one side of the spectrum. But when she doesn't take them, she does get to a place where eventually she probably would wake up on her own. Possibly. Also, I guess it's also because Gothel helped with a big part of the curse casting. And, and it's she her mother. Obviously loves making Tilly and Roger suffer. She kinda gave Tilly a really, really shitty deal by design. Right. Um, so um anyways, what I really like is the when she, not not only like kinda how that how the date falls apart, but I like Al I like Tilly's mindset and much more I like her apology her way of talking to robin saying hey sometimes i have these good days and bad days because it really it it feel it it's you see her mindset she really opens the door and makes it so anybody could understand and i love how the people that are so that are that are designed to be close to her despite no matter the realm um rogers dash killian um uh, Margo-Robin and even Weaver-Rumple they understand that and they're they're there for her no matter the day and when they flub up their consequences of course like um, what happened in Nightfall they weren't paying attention to Tilly so she was put into a situation where she was framed for murder anyways um, um but I really liked that, and I felt that that's such, that's such an important building block to showing the strength of their relationship. And it was something that really wasn't shown in the episode where we see them for where we first see Tilly and, and um, uh, where we first see Alice and Robin falling in love. It's a very different way of handling it. Like the in the first episode, it, in the episode that really introduced their relationship, it was more about about um, Robin confronting her need to be cool and such. But um, we get to see kind of more, like, we get to see how Margot-Robin is supporting Tilly Alice by being there on days where she's not feeling really, where she's not feeling really well and building her up. So I like how we're seeing this very supportive, genuine relationship in something that can be very challenging. It's, It's very optimistic and it's lovely. So... And it's cute, too. It's perfect. I like it. Great job, Jenna Pace. I, why, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so Heather, you know what you're going to be getting. Bring it on. Let's do this. Let's get into it. So, oh gosh, we've got a lot to discuss, but I will try to break it down in an understandable kind of way. So, you should wrap it. Hmm? You should wrap it. Oh gosh. <laughs> yes, go Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh no, I think yes. he was saying it, but I should, I, I think you were saying, wait, you were saying wrap or you were saying like wrap it up so that we don't discuss it? Yeah, I was thinking like, you know, yo, this is Jeff and I'm here, you know, that kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, because I, I understood it like, let's just wrap it up and let's not discuss oh, this. No. <laughs> yes. I want wrapped in the style guy. of, like, juicy rumple voice. 
Oh gosh. I would pay money for that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hello, Derry's great and small. Gonna tell you why Rumble's the best character of them all. Yes. Oh, the wow. juicy monologues. Yeah, we'll just all go woo Featuring it. Jenna Pace. <laughs> yes. I know that was priceless. <laughs> One night only on Broadway. <laughs> At the Beacon Theater. Okay, let's get back into this. So, uh, you know, we have Weaver and Rogers initially going to question Nick about the murders, only to discover that he's dead. And so Weaver immediately gets freaked the fuck out. And he rushes to uh, the evidence room and he searches, searches, searches because he's, he's very suspicious about what happened, who did it, and that whole shebang. And he realizes that his Dark One dagger is gone. Boom, 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 boom. And so there's this like really great line that Rogers gives him as he like departs from the police station because he's like, I got a lead to, you know, track down. You continue on with the paperwork and this, that, or the other. And Rogers is like, you know, this is the first time I I've ever seen you look scared. And so uh, we pick up with. Uh, Ronnie, Regina, and she is, uh, you know, doing uh, the, um, the, what do you call it, the, the, the cauldron and, and, and whatnot. She's, this thing is taking a long ass time. Uh, this is like the longest that we've ever seen a, a pot stirring on Once Upon a Time. <laughs> but we do have to remember that they are in a land without magic, but I'm like, damn, you know, how long there has that like been boiling? Slope. It's like a crock pot. Yes, basically. <laughs> a crocodile and, pot. Aw. And, <laughs> and so uh, Weaver starts asking for her help. He's like, you know, the dagger has disappeared, and, you know, you should talk to your boyfriend, and this, that, or the other, and you have all that magic, and, you know, maybe I can use that magic, and this, that, or the other, and, and Regina's like, no, 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 no. Like, you need to calm down. You need to simmer down now. And I will go and talk to Facilier and see what's going on. You need to trust me, okay? And he's like, okay. And so Regina goes and visits Samdi at his uh, place of business. And uh, he is very, you know, honest and straightforward about the things that he's done. He's like, yes, I killed Hansel. But, you know, are you really going to bat an eye at me killing a serial killer? And uh, she's like, you know, okay, thanks for confessing to that, but you know why I'm here. The dagger is missing. Do you have the dagger? Did you steal the dagger? Are you currently in possession of the dagger? And uh, Facilier tells her no. And she's like, okay, I believe you. And uh, before she leaves, uh, they set up uh, another uh, date for later on. And I will say that any type of exposition that I guess we're going to get, we got in this scene a little, I, I should say, about them together. Because we did learn that apparently Rumpel loves to snake his way through their relationship. 
So he's always been sort of like a thorn in their side when it comes to their romance. So we got a little exposition. So when Regina leaves, Weaver appears. But Samdi already knew that. And he confronts Samdi about the dagger. He's like, you heard me tell Regina, but that's what you told her. Like, I think you've got it. This, that, or the other. He even pulls out a gun on him. And uh, Facilier is like, oh, you know, you can kill me, but that's going to, you know, permanently separate you from Belle. And I know that you want to return to Belle. And this, that, or the other. And uh, basically, Samdi is like, as he's doing some magical hoodoo voodoo mumbo jumbo, he's like, the next time you come at me, you better shoot. Because, you know, don't threaten Facilier. And with a little wave of his hand, he magics Weaver back into his car. And Weaver looked shooked. Shooked, shooked, shooked. So, before we pause... I know. Before we pause, because there's just a little bit left to the story. Um, So, Heather, get ready. So, Weaver is desperate. He waits for Ronnie to leave um, where the cauldron is after she, uh, you know, puts the magic away under lock and key. He breaks through the lock and he steals the magic for himself. He pours the magic onto a map to lead him to the dagger. You know, a tracker spell that we've seen in the past. And, uh, the spell leads him to Tilly. This is uh, the point in Tilly's story when um, she hastily leaves Margot at the bookshop. And uh, she's like, you know, what are you doing here? And, and he's confused as well. And, and she's like, you know, oh, you know, don't you hear that? You know, th- these whispers, they're, they're voices. It isn't a humming. And so weaver realizes that she is in possession of the dark one dagger and uh, he's like you know did you steal it you know were you in the evidence locker and she's like no and then he realizes oh you're guarding it for me and she was even freaked out by the dagger she's like what the hell is this and so uh, he's like it's okay you know you know go about your day that's when she returns back to to find Margot. And he is in possession of the dagger, and he takes it back to the evidence locker and locks it up and that kind of thing. And Regina visits him and basically, you know, chastises him. You know, how could you do that? That was magic that was specifically, you know, siphoned and given to me to save my son, your grandson, and you screwed it all up because you're selfish. You know, the the man that I thought you were, the man that you thought you were, you know, is gone. You are the same Rumpelstiltskin that you've always been. And he's like, you know, but I just, you know, I had to find the dagger, this or the other, and it was in possession of a guardian. She's like, guardian. And he's like, well, you know, there was another one before Anastasia, and, you know... It, it was in her possession and this, that, or the other. And she's like, you know, I'm done with you. You know, you are the same. You will never change. And whatever we had between us, this friendship, this alliance, this kinship is over. 
Okay. So, I liked this storyline. I liked seeing Rumple scared. I loved uh, everything with him and Facilier. I loved that Facilier showed off his magical prowess. I loved uh, Facilier's scene with Regina. I, you know, I think their chemistry is electric, and I, I think they're fantastic together. The problem that I had, and I get it, it's Rumple being scared, but I hated that he stole the magic so yes. much. I hated that he stole oh. the magic so much, and I hated it so much. I'm gonna say it for the third time. I hated <laughs> that he stole. Have, have any of you seen Clue? The magic. No. There's a line. No, the There's flames on the side of my face. Yeah. That's yeah, exactly what I was feeling. I just yeah. loathed it with a passion because I, oh, I was like. I was like that that meme of Tyra Banks. I was rooting for you, <laughs> and I was. I and and Katie, out of all of you, knows sort of like my back and forth with Rumple, and I've been through with him, and I was through with him for a while. When I said I was done, I was done. Like I really was not supportive of him, and even at the start of the season, I wasn't that supportive of him until I realized that this was a different Rumple, that this was an quote-unquote evolved Rumple, a Rumple that has learned from his mistakes, that has, it seemed, redeemed himself. But I guess we're going the Zelina route, that the redemption isn't fully over yet, and we're getting another final, quote-unquote, I think it has to be final because we're ending the series, but a final redemptive arc for Rumple. but I just, I genuinely hated it so much. I disliked that he did that. I felt like it, it was just too desperate, and maybe it's because it's the first time he's ever been scared, but I just, I, I just didn't like it, and that was like the main thing that was just bugging me about the, the episode at the end of it all. So, Heather, our Rumple Whisperer, our, you know, PhD in the Dark One. Please give me your opinion on this storyline, and maybe you can sort of maybe try to talk me down, and maybe talk the rest of us down over Rumpel's um, precarious uh, situation. Whew, that's a lot. That's a lot to put on. Um, <laughs> I have faith in you. Okay, so... This is my thing. Um, the first time, the first watch through, I, I disliked that as well. Um, I, I, I really, really didn't like the, the fact that they would put that on him stealing magic from Henry, who's based on his only connection left to, you know, Bellfire, who he did everything for. And understanding the fact that the show has not ever really focused in on the relationship between Henry and Rumple that as you know I felt like they should have or these would have been a very interesting relationship to deal with so I didn't like it but I'm okay with it and and this is why so in this episode we get that really and at least in my opinion amazing flashback of Rumpelstiltskin going you know going back to or hearkening back to him as the dark one, him as the the crazy manipulative imp that we all came to love in seasons one and two. Um, and then at the end of it, you see him making 
all of the right choices. Uh, he sacrifices his life, or not necessarily his life, but his livelihood or his uh, mental health, I guess, for Belle, or for Belle, for Tilly, so that she doesn't have to deal with the immortality thing, and it's, it's beautiful. And then you've got this storyline, where he at least makes the right decision in not uh, killing Vasilier, but then steals this magic and makes a poor decision. The thing about Rumpelstiltskin's character is that from even from the very beginning of the series, he is a character that makes wrong choices constantly. We've seen it in every single season. And it's what makes being a fan of Rumpelstiltskin so very difficult because you have to kind of pick apart, well, why did he make that decision? In this instance, um, I would imagine that the writing behind it was that he was terrified um, he's had, and, and that's something that's very, it's a core trait of Rumpelstiltskin's character. He was, uh, he's a self, uh, self-implicated coward in so many different ways. He was marked as a coward, um, when he was younger, when, because of his father, after the war, after the Ogre's War, when he crippled himself for Bellfire, and even Bell calls him a coward in Skin Deep. So it's something that we've seen over and over and over. And at least in the instance of there's a possibility that someone has stolen the dagger, the thing that controls his soul. He has no way to fight against it. He has to do whatever somebody tells him to do with that dagger. Um, And that would harken back to season three, everything he went through with Zelina. The last time somebody took possession of the dagger, he lost Bellfire, who meant absolutely everything to him. Um, And then he was enslaved for the better part of a year. Uh, he, even to the extent of when Bell had the dagger, the real dagger, she exiled him, which is not a fun six weeks for Rumpelstiltskin. So I can understand it coming from the point of that absolute terror that he would be driven to a point of desperation where he would do absolutely anything, especially since he's already in the flat in the past. He's given up all possibilities of. Um, uh, of a redemption, of getting to back to Bell. He's given up so much in the flashbacks that he's got a second chance in Hyperion Heights that he maybe necessarily doesn't want to, or that he doesn't necessarily want to waste uh, regardless of what he has to do to get there. Um, so I am okay with it. Uh, I, I think that the scene between he and Regina at the end, where she tells him that he's, uh, the same Rumpelstiltskin that he's always been. He hasn't changed a bit. That makes it so very, very heartbreaking because you can see in his face um, when he finds the, the dagger with Tilly that he realizes just what a mistake he's made, um, just how big of, just how much he's messed up. And he's heartbroken by that because it means that everything that he's done is for nothing in so, in so many instances. Um so I'm okay with it, actually, and it took, a, it took a very long time for me to be okay with it, but I think as far as a writing standpoint on the episode as a whole, it, makes, it creates a nice juxtaposition between Flashback Rumple and this Rumple. I think it encompasses, it allows the episode to encompass every single portion of Rumpelstiltskin's character, character arc that we've seen from season one to now, and I also think it means that they're leading up to something even bigger with... Um, him in the next couple of episodes just because there's got to be some kind of he's going to have to die as much as that pains me to think he has to die so that he can be reunited with Belle and I think that the the breaking of the relationship between he and Regina will be interesting in future episodes because I think he's going to have to redeem himself to some degree 
uh, and they better have one heck of redemption from a boy because I will be just so very sad if they don't. Okay. I liked it. You didn't convince me, but that was very good. And I didn't want to interrupt you, but when you mentioned that Rumpel was exiled, I was like, and, and you were like, Ugh, you know, that was a horrible time for him. He was eating a lot of Mr. Clucks with the queens. So, yeah, okay. you know, True. that's not True. like it's that bad of a time. Um, but I know what you're saying. I, I yeah, just wanted to make the joke because okay. I was like, he was eating Mr. Clucks with them. Okay. Any counterpoints not necessarily to what heather said because she's a nice lady so you don't want to hurt her feelings but any opinions on what rumple did i feel like Vinny is staring <laughs> at me with the evil eyes and the hackles yes yes the hackles i you know i made the joke in our little chat here that this scene just made i literally cursed at the screen like i it was like one of those really bad people you don't want to watch horror movies because they're just like girl no 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 don't you dare don't you no don't you dare and that's kind of how i felt i and this goes back to what i talked about in the beginning of the episode like i just following the journey of this character yes rumpelstiltskin i agree with heather 100 percent. cowardly is at the core of his character in his origin story and you know we always end up going back to it I guess I just invested more faith in him than was de- like deserved on his time with Bell and what he learned because initially when he came out of that time with her and having Gideon grow up with a normal life not be a lackey of the black fairy and you know he got to spend ultimately he got his dream to come true in a way of being able to have that life with the ones that he loves I saw him coming out of that as a drastically stronger person, you know, maybe not fully redeemed in the fact that, yes, he was still technically the dark one, but overall, having accomplished what he had hoped for in a lot of ways, I thought would put him in a much stronger position, mixed in with the fact that one thing that he has been a part of from day one is interactions with our core group of heroes. This season, it's a different core group, but it's got Regina there. And the bottom line is they have always pulled through. And after seven years of this, however much time has passed, you know, within there, but they've still had a time jump. You know, he's had this history with these people who have overcome the Dark Fairy. They have overcome death multiple times. They have gone into the underworld and come back, gone to Neverland and come back, defeated you know, some of the greatest evils that someone could encounter in their world, and they always overcame. So for him to suddenly just, I don't know, I it, it doesn't resonate with me, and I didn't buy it. I felt like it was almost like another MacGuffin just to, you know, throw some rumple drama in there to, like, increase the odds of, like, what's at stake, because it just didn't, I, I couldn't buy it. I have watched the episode four times now, because I have such a bad relationship with this episode. And every time I've watched it, I've tried to look at it objectively. I've tried to look at, you know, these scenes from, like, different perspectives. And it just, I agree, he's going to need, like, a serious redemptive arc. And I just worry that it's going to be something silly, you know, like, oh, the ultimate answer is he's going to sacrifice himself, you know? I just, no. I I, I can see the, the reasoning, and, like, I can understand how it... 
like I think your explanation was great, Heather. I really do. And like objectively and like, you know, scholastically, maybe I can I can see it. I just still don't like what they did. I, I really don't think that it was the right move for that character. And I thought it was really just kind of nah. <laughs> I mean, can I say that like I agree with Vinny too? Like I've I I'm okay with it. I'm not I don't think it was the best writing decision. But I found I have to make myself be at peace with it because I have to have this character resolved yeah. or I'm not going to be happy. You're going to cast your own curse. I'm going to cast my own curse. It's going to be worse <laughs> than Katie's. I believe it. <laughs> yeah. So, any final thoughts on the present day stuff, period? Any of the storylines, any little things that you want to mentioned before we head into the MVP. Oh, I like how Regi- I like how Regina had just had to- had uh she did end up really trusting Samdi and I think that speaks to even though the relationship isn't too developed, I like the strength of it. Also, um while I feel like Rumples Rumples like um his actions this episode were very polarizing amongst his podcast team. I'm personally with Heather and her and Heather and her interpretation, but I loved Regina's, um, I loved Regina's reaction to it, and I think that that is the exact reaction she should have, like, drop that dude, he just screwed over your son big time, fuck him. (laughs) Not literally. (laughs) Maybe. No. (laughs) No more VC Andrews. Yes. Hashtag gross. But I agree. I loved Regina's reaction. It was perfect. And uh, I co-signed Shadow Queen as well. But you know that. So let's get into the MVP, the most valuable player. Which character impressed you the most and why? The rules are simple. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. And if someone has already mentioned the character that you were going to choose, you must select a different one, a.k.a. No repeats. So, hmm. Okay. Even though he's been hackling, Vinny, you may go first. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. This was a tough one because I I really didn't care for the episode that much. But, you know, on my fourth watch through, uh, my MVP kind of came out to me. And it's, it's... not someone that was in a lot of the episode, but I'm going with Henry. Uh, Ooh! That's yeah. a good one. He was one of my choices, too. Plot twist. Yeah, nice. the, the reason being, just going back to what I said before about like him and Nook being kind of like the last ones on the totem pole with Jacinda of like waking up, you know, I what's been really interesting about his character in these past few episodes is like he has gone from like, uh, this is just a kid's dream, whatever. I've met some cool new people. That's cool. Okay, their family's screwed up. Okay, once someone got kidnapped, someone's disappeared. Okay, this is getting super strange. What the hell's going on? I've been kidnapped by a guy that I thought was my new friend, and he's telling me all this. You know, I feel the journey, and I'm really looking forward to when Henry wakes up. And especially, my, I think my favorite moment in this entire episode, if I could give a shared MVP, it would be to him and Jacinda in that final moment of the episode when he, like, sits down. Because I mean, you've got to tell this woman who's also cursed, you know, who to you is just some new booty that you're chasing after. Hey, by the way, apparently I stuck it in you sometime and we don't remember. Like, you know, it's just this, like, really awkward conversation. But with them, it was just... I got the feeling, like... The way that she was playing Jacinda in that moment, 
I was calling back to the scene where she threw the thing and it went in the cup. Like she's also been on her own journey to waking up or at least starting to believe. And I feel like she was already anticipating that what he was about to tell her was potentially earth shattering. And I just love that scene. It really gave me goosebumps because we are getting so close to the curse breaking. And it was Henry, this episode, just following those little breadcrumbs to the trail of him starting to really start to believe and the true believer coming through absolutely hands down my favorite part of the entire scene or the episode so he's my mvp well damn all Yay. right shout out to henry i feel like this one's obvious maybe maybe not heather bishop your mvp um i would love to say it's not obvious but it's totally obvious yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm I'm going to be real vanilla. It was Rumpelstiltskin is my v- MVP. Um, and for, for legit reasons, though, um, and not just because he's my favorite character. Um, he's, I, I loved the growth from that you saw in the flashbacks of this episode, just from the point where we, the point where we first started with Rumpelstiltskin to where we are now is so ridiculously far apart. And, and I loved it. Um, I loved how they were able... We talked about last week how they were able to encompass the entirety of Zelina's arc in one episode. They did the same thing with Rumpelstiltskin in this one, and I, and I loved it. You know, we saw the manipulative, impish Rumpelstiltskin. We saw him being unsure. We saw him being cowardly. Uh, we saw him being his terrifying self when he was... Um, uh, threatening Vasilier, uh, we saw him being self-sacrificing in certain places, and then at the end we saw, and, and this is I think where the difference between old Rumpelstiltskin and this Rumpelstiltskin really comes in, is after after the whole confrontation with Regina at the end, you could see that he was exceedingly repentant about everything. He owned up to the fact that he made a mistake. He told Regina, you know, you have every right to be angry at me, uh, you know, there you go, that's it. And it really resonated with him that maybe he's not as far along as he thought he was. So I I loved every single portion of this episode, and I loved every portion that Rumpelstiltskin was in. Um, and he's my MVP. There we go. I feel like this one's pretty obvious as well. Maybe. Jenna Pace, your MVP. Oh, I was stuck between a lot of people for this one. It ultimately came down to three choices. Um, Facilia Regina or Tilly Alice. But you know what? I gotta give it to the character who had the most substance going on, and that was Tilly Alice. No! <laughs> I'm sorry! Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you it's want, okay, I'll, Jenna. I'm sorry. Revel in your, your good pick. <laughs> I will. I will. I will. Um, so, Alice, you really, I like how they didn't even, like, because so many people, have, they probably assumed by this time, I guess that Alice was probably the Guardian. They didn't really mess around with that, that us that much by having it be such a suspenseful thing. They kind of went in, like, with an idea of them knowing. And I, what I like uh, from Alice's, for, um, from the Alice side of things, I really like how she had this very small but quick bond with, with Rumple, and in the same thing, in just, like, really small little splurts, you see how her relationship with Robin has grown in such small time. Like, um, when she gets the bracelet, she gives away this wa- this backwards watch, which is a really cool, like, um, souvenir from Wonderland. 
and you see they're just kind of getting, you see, like, they're getting close, and even in the distance, even though it's not, even though the characters don't explicitly talk, you see the relationship with, uh, with Nook. And yeah, that's just all cute, but especially her relationship with Rumple and just the goodness in her. It comes out, but it's not, it's not, she's not like, she's not like Jesus. She's good, but in a real way, like, a, like just a good person, good loving person who cares about other people, who isn't completely naive and has her limits, but generally has a good heart. And with Tilly, I like how we got to explore more of her mental illness and also see the cuter sides of the relationship with both with um with Margot and see more of her world and her side of Hyperion Heights, notably with the Pop and Pop Library, which was just so, so, so adorable. So yeah, she just blew me away this episode in both in both worlds. She was part of your world. <laughs> Thank you. Katie, you've had time to think. Your MVP so, and why. Okay. I'm choosing Rogers slash Nook. Uh, he wasn't in the episode very much, but I did like the scenes that he was in. Um, one of my favorite scenes in the whole episode was the scene where he and Rumple were talking and, you know, um, they were saying... The Dark One and the Pirate, can we be friends? And he said, you know, hopefully, or it's time for, maybe it's time for a new story. I really liked that. Um, I liked a scene where he was chasing Naveen around. Um, honestly, I'm just coming up with something out of out of my butt at this point. Sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> you're good. You're good. But I did genuinely enjoy his scenes. So uh, my, my sort of MVP for this episode, is Roger slash Nook. That was horrible. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Katie, you're supposed to come with a list of, like, five people. I'm just saying. I don't, man. I had no one except Alice for this <laughs> Well, do your homework. Okay. <laughs> I am stuck between two, and it's the two that Jenna didn't pick, and I'm going to go with the one... I'm going to go with the the fancier one. So I'm going to go with Facilier, because one, I loved him in the flashback. I feel like he is not going to end up being evil. Uh, I just... Uh, he's like red herrings all over the place. I agree with what Vinny stated in a previous podcast. So I loved everything in the flashback. I loved him and uh, Regina. Just... Uh, the chemistry is awesome. And uh, they're just cute together. And he's so tender with her. And, uh, you know... And he was so forthcoming with her. Yeah, yeah I killed that man. Like, you're not going to miss him. Aww. So... He, who cares? Like, that was beautiful. And them setting up their date was amazing. And then everything with Weaver was just awesome. And the fact that he magicked him away, and the fact that Weaver just looked terrified that he was magicked away. 
was just amazing because Rumple has always been on like the other side of that coin. Like he's the one doing the nefarious, magic-y type of stuff and uh, freaking other people out. It was a amazing. It was just so great to see him get freaked out. So uh, shout out to Daniel Francis and Doctor Facilier. So now it is time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode? On a scale of 1 to 10 apples, the point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden apple. I feel like you probably have a score. It's definitely not going to be golden. So, Katie, you may go first. <laughs> wow, you, you <laughs> must have good uh, mind-reading skills there. <laughs> my my score will be six apples. Uh, this episode was okay. It didn't really enthrall me that much. Um, I did. There were a couple scenes that I really did like. Um, I mentioned them before. The scene with Robert Carlyle's acting where he was going in and out of being the dark one. Um, the scene with Rumple and Alice while um, the darkness was trying to be transformed. Um, I really liked the scene with um, Nook and Rumple. Um, I also did like the scene, and you reminded me of it, um, but the scene with Weaver and Regina, I did like that a lot. Um, but, I don't know, I was just kind of bored throughout the episode. I feel like, I feel like, at this point, we, they should be moving the plot forward a little bit more. We should be getting more substance. And I feel like the present day kind of took away from that a lot. Um, partic- particularly with Alice and Mar- or Tilly and Margot. I just feel like we need to be focusing on things with a little bit more substance at this point to the plot because we're only, like, four episodes away from the end. And we technically have, like, one, two more episodes in Hyperion Heights, so we should be trying to wrap things up pretty quickly here. But, um, other, I I don't know, I was just a little bored in this episode, um, so I'm only going to give it six apples out of ten. But you said six and a half. Did you always say six? I said six. Okay. I said six, didn't I? Please. Maybe I turned you out. Okay. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so we got one negative. Let's get the other one out the way as well. <laughs> Removing the band-aid. Uh, Vinny, you can go next. <laughs> oh, I'm going to give it four apples. Whoa! <laughs> I I just I, I only like watched it work. four times, right? Exactly. I maybe you got one apple every watch through because the first time was horrible. Uh, now <laughs> I I really enjoyed the the part that I said that I the the murder she wrote as I'll call it and the very ending scene, but I it just the rest of it just kind of I I didn't care for the date stuff. I mean I liked it, but I just I agree in the fact that we're getting so close to the end that I don't want any more fluff. I want the meat and potatoes. I don't want any more appetizers. And unfortunately, I'm starting to get to the point that like I don't need to have the relationship of these two like hammered into me anymore. I can tell that they have an awesome connection and they're you know headed somewhere. I I just I would have rather more facilier time, more Regina time, or more story time. 
not the the date as much because I don't feel like it contributed to the overall story. So that part just really kind of like felt like standing in the mud and the rumple stuff. It just I I didn't like it. And so yeah, overall I was pushing close to a five, but I still don't really feel that much changed in mind. So I'm going to stick with a four. I'll be Simon Cowell. Well, we've got a six and a four. Actually, if we combine both of you together, you gave it a ten. So wow. Heather, how would you rate this episode? Well, I'm on the uh, complete in different end of the spectrum. I'm going to give it a golden apple. <gasps> wow. Bum, um, bum, bum, bum. <gasps> <laughs> it's out there. I, I love this episode. I like to the point where I, I did my normal to watch throughs and I wanted to watch it uh, several more times. I'm really embarrassed at how many times I've watched this episode so far. Um, I loved the nuances of Rumpelstiltskin's character and the arc that that was presented to us. I loved how I loved the juxtaposition between Rumpel's uh, character in the flashback and his character in Hyperion Heights. I also loved the juxtaposition, juxtaposition of Alice and Tilly, or Alice and Robin, and Tilly and Margot for both sides. I thought that they played very well together, and I, it felt very similar to. You know, season one curse of Once Upon a Time, where you had two storylines that kind of followed along the same path, but they di- they diverged in some way or another. Um, I loved the I loved the date stuff between Alice and Tilly. I do agree. Or, goodness gracious, between Tilly and Margot, um, I do agree that there could have been more substance there. But because of the parallels that that it showed throughout the episode, I didn't mind it as much. Um, I loved every little bit with Sam D slash Facilier. I thought that was fantastic, and I think that they're really leading up to a big kind of confrontation between uh, Regina, Vasilier, and Rumple, and possibly Gothel as well. Um, and outside of and the Rumple and Regina scenes just broke my heart in so many different ways, and I, I thought that was so well acted. And they could have just had Rumple and Regina for season ten, say, season seven, and I would have been fine with that. Uh, because the chemistry, they've always had such fantastic chemistry. But also, um, Rose Reynolds' acting in this episode was phenomenal. And Bobby Carlyle's acting in this episode just blew me away. Especially the scene uh, in Vasilier's hunt, like Katie was talking about earlier, with um, him going in between the imp, uh, the impish dark one, but he didn't have the makeup on. It gave me chills. I love this episode so, so much. And... Uh, I think it's going to be probably one of my tops out of all time. So, uh, we're kind of all over the place. We got a six, we got a four, we got a golden. <laughs> Jenna Pace, where do you stand? Well, I stand right with Heather. I'm giving it a golden as well. Now, before I, go in, before I go into why, I kind of wanted to say something really quickly because it seems like uh, my girl Tilly Alice has been kind of getting on the offensive, and I feel like... She's been dragged through the mud for her date. Yeah, and, okay, so my thing is, um, like, a really brief, it's like, the day would only be unimportant if Alice Deschili isn't an important character, and to me it seems very clear that she is a very important character. She's She has very notable, strong relationships to two of the returning characters, two of the most important characters of the entire series, um... She's been she's been given this season long arc. She's a yielder of light magic. She's a guardian. I think they're going somewhere with that. So exploring her character as much as possible is important. And 
I mean, maybe not, maybe not the relationship, but what that, but what that date showed about her, her shortcomings in Hyperion Heights that are going to be overcome. And I think that what we're heading towards is a juxtaposition to how she, her, her feelings and behaviors in both the girl in the tower and Nightfall, where she's going to be able to rise up because she has these strong relationships with Rogers and Margot. She's going to be able to fight against it when Eloise Gardner goes at, goes for her and is trying to bring her down. She's not going to let it. And she's going to be a big part of Gothel's downfall. So I feel like these little bits, at, at least with Tilly, and I get with other characters that it kind of feels like, where is this going? Why does this need to be there? But with Tilly, it's like, they're. I feel like they're very clearly building towards something very important with her. Um, but anyways, why I love the episode, because I really did love this episode. Um, I feel like Heather said it so eloqu- eloquently, but I'll try my best to, I'll try my best to, uh, say something on that par. Um, the storyline was really, was really interesting. I love what they did with, um, addressing the rivalry between Wishhook and Rumpel, and it almost seemed like, uh, not, like, uh, What's the word? Um, a spiritual successor to the Golden Hook um, rivalry it, back in Storybrooke. Even though it's a different hook, you kind of felt a certain weight to it, where it was kind of like this is the resolu- This is a resolution that they've also, that those two have also been working towards. I like how that was handled. I really like how quickly they developed that. How how they showed off that bond that formed between Rumple and Alice, and how. And how their love for two different people kind of brought out Rumpel's inner goodness. He definitely has a conscience. And Tilly, in some respects, has kind of become part of his emotional center. She's become a a point to him that helps him be strong. She inspires him. I I really, back to what I was saying a moment ago, I really enjoyed the date between... Tilly and Margot, I like what it showed off for for Tilly's character, and it was just a really sweet, cute moment in between a lot of bleak darkness. I love Samdi, he's a chilling villain, and any villain who can get a one-up over Rumpel is someone to be intimidating, but in that same respect, they also show him as very romantic. I love that there's, a, that there's such a mystery to who he is and who he's going to be. Even now, even to the last second, we're still second guessing what his intentions are, and it's definitely, uh, as pointed out earlier, building to something grand, grand, and I can't wait to see it. We may not get necessarily get much of a flashback of who he was, but maybe we don't one hundred percent fully need it, and as long because the present stuff is at the very least serviceable. And finally, Regina was just rocking this whole episode, whether or not it was the cuteness of her relationship with Samdi or her smacking down Rumple when he kind of fucked up. And to be clear, he did fuck up badly. It was just really great to see her. So, yeah, there you go. Golden Apple. So we've got a 6-4, two Golden Apples, and... uh... As much as I would love to continue the hype train, because I love a hype train, and this one would be, I guess, the juicy hype train. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Woo! There she goes. I was waiting for Jenna. 
I <laughs> am... I'm not going to give it a golden, but I am going to give it a good score. I am going to give it a nine and a half. And uh, before we started the podcast, I was actually leaning more towards a nine. So Heather and Jenna, maybe some of your infectiousness sort of uh, convinced me to give it at least a 0.5 extra. So nine and a half from me. I liked the episode. My only gripe is that Rumple stole the magic. Everything else was really interesting. I liked the flashback. I loved the Coco stuff in it. I liked the present day stuff. I did like the date. I didn't mind it at all. I thought it was cute. I gotta give props to the Once Upon a Time writers for finally writing an LGBTQIA plus relationship that A seems normal and organic and B isn't rushed through one episode. Like this love story has been gradually building throughout the season and uh, it's been nice to see it wasn't you know hi i'm dorothy let's make love you know what i'm saying (laughs) not that that wouldn't happen but uh, you know at least it's organic and uh, it has been lovely to see and uh, those apples the caramel candied apples look so damn delicious so that storyline was really cute i'm still gonna give the writers a little bit of pass just a teeny tiny little pass because i feel like at this point maybe they didn't know that they had to rush things into like a finale that would become a series finale and that kind of thing i think next week i can no longer give them that pass I think in the next episode, they would have 100% known that uh, it was ending, and so they had to start sort of wrapping things up and figuring that out. So I'm going to give them a pass from me. You all, you have your own opinions and whatnot, but I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass. The Facilier stuff I've already spoken about is amazing. The Regina stuff I've already spoken about was amazing. I did like the Henry and Jacinda stuff. It was very teeny, teeny, teeny tiny. But it just shows that both of these uh, individuals are slowly starting to believe. And I'm here for it. And I like it. Not going to lie. I thought at one point that Tilly was going to wake up in this episode. I thought she she was slowly yeah. starting to wake up. And then I was like, you know what? I don't know if I like that. Because part of me like either wants her to wake up with Margot or with Rogers. So uh, Katie made a bold prediction about a true love's kiss at the end of next week's episode. I think that we might get either Tilly, Rogers, or even Margot waking up in the next episode. If we get a true love's kiss between Tilly and Margot, like maybe they wake up together, or maybe because of whatever ends up going down with Gothel in the next episode, Rogers and Tilly will both wake up. So uh, stay tuned in regards to that. But yeah, I, I thought it was a really solid episode. I liked it. Besides what Rumple did at the end. Everything else was really nice to see, and I will give additional props to Robert Carlyle as well. I don't have a personal relationship with him, like apparently Heather does, so I can't call him Bobby, but I will call him Robert. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, you can tell us about that uh, during the after show. (laughs) 
together. It's a really interesting story. Oh. I'm yeah. just kidding. Oh, well. Maybe there is no story. So on that note, <laughs> join us next time for a brand new installment of Storybrooke Weekly Mirror. Once again, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Mirror. Follow us on Tumblr, storybrookweeklymirror.tumblr.com. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, and YouTube, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash poppychularadio. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Storybrooke Weekly Mirror and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night. Good night, guys. Night. Night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Storybrooke Weekly Mirror every Tuesday and Wednesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chulo Radio Archives. Our Tuesday show is our episode discussion, and our Wednesday show is our special spoiler edition of Storybrooke Weekly Mirror. Good night.